podcast about the Nobel Prizes in Physiology or Medicine. My name is Harrison Doolin. I am a PhD candidate in the Cell Molecular and Developmental Biology graduate program at the University of California, Riverside, and I will be your host for this web series. The purpose of this series is to trace key advancements made in the biological and medical sciences over the past 120 years or so, and we're using the Nobel Prizes in Physiology or Medicine as a guide. Now, every career has its highest prize. Athletes get Olympic gold medals, chefs get Michelin stars, actors get Oscars, musicians get Grammys, writers get Pulitzers, and scientists, scientists get Nobel Prizes. It is the most prestigious award a scientist can receive, and it marks discoveries that have made a profound impact on our understanding of human biology and ability to treat diseases. So today we will be talking about the 1905 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, which was awarded to Robert Koch. The Nobel Committee chose to give Koch the award, quote, for his investigations and discoveries in relation to tuberculosis, unquote. Now, while Koch was awarded the prize specifically for his work on tuberculosis, he was a giant in the field of microbiology and made many important advancements in our understanding of infectious diseases. His key contribution was the development of a set of criteria for experimentally proving that a particular microorganism causes disease. These criteria are known as Koch's postulates. These postulates remain a gold standard in medical microbiology for establishing the role of microbes in disease. So today we will go through each of the postulates, then go over Koch's application of his own postulates to tuberculosis, and lastly go over some cases where the postulates break down. But first, a little bit of background on Robert Koch. Koch was born in Germany in 1843, the third of 13 children, which people back in those days seemed to think was a normal number of children. <laughs> he always showed an interest in science, and he entered the University of Göttingen at the age of 19 to study medicine. While a medical student at the university, he came under the influence of the brilliant anatomy professor Jacob Henley, who is most remembered for his anatomical descriptions of the kidney. Now, aside from being an expert anatomist, Henley was also an early advocate for the germ theory of disease, the notion that microorganisms are causative agents of disease. Henley didn't produce any experimental evidence for the germ theory of disease, but he had published a paper arguing for the idea back in 1840. There's no doubt that his ideas influenced the young Koch while he was at university. Koch obtained his Doctor of Medicine degree in 1866, and the following year he married Emma Fratz. And the main reason I want to bring her up is because she gave Koch his first microscope as a gift. So ladies, the holidays are coming up. If you're still looking for a gift for your man, you know, maybe consider getting him a microscope. You can't go wrong with that, you know, he'll love you for it. <laughs> so after graduating, Koch bounced around several different hospitals in Germany before taking on the position of district medical officer for Wolstein in 1872. While in Wolstein, Koch made his first big discovery, the identification of the bacteria that causes anthrax disease. Anthrax was responsible for the deaths of mostly farm animals in Volstein, but human deaths were also common. Koch published a paper describing anthrax spores and their ability to cause disease in 1876, 
and his paper was widely circulated in Europe, bringing Koch to the attention of the scientific community. In 1880, he moved to Berlin and was appointed a member of the Reichsgesundheitsamt, which is German for Imperial Health Bureau. And I know I could have just said Imperial Health Bureau, but it is way more fun to say Reichsgesundheitsamt. Just try it. Gesundheitsamt. It's so much fun. <laughs> so Koch now turned his attention while in Berlin to tuberculosis, the disease for which he would win the Nobel Prize. So what was known about tuberculosis back in Koch's day? Well, it was deadly, very deadly. About one quarter of all deaths in Europe in the 1800s were due to tuberculosis, and the disease earned the nickname Captain of All These Men of Death. That makes the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus look like a puny wimp by comparison. By the time Koch was born, the Industrial Revolution was driving tuberculosis to unprecedented new heights. As factory work drove urbanization in Europe and the Americas, cities became increasingly crowded. Tuberculosis is an airborne disease that infects the lungs, so the crowded condition of the cities during the 1800s allowed the disease to spread very quickly. And over 90% of people living in cities in Europe and the Americas were infected with tuberculosis. Now, once someone catches the infection, they are infected for life. The progression of the disease varies, though, person to person. Some people become sick and die in a matter of months, while others suffer for years with the disease before eventually dying, and others go with only mild symptoms for, mo for most of their years and never die at all from the disease. But once a person did begin to show signs of disease, their symptoms included a prolonged cough, chest pain, fever, and coughing up blood. Additionally, people with the disease would develop round lumps of cells in their lungs. We call these lumps of cells granulomas nowadays, but early doctors gave these lumps the name tubercles, which is how the disease got its name. Now, a description of these clinical signs and symptoms doesn't really put into perspective the terrible suffering this disease caused. You see, this disease takes an awfully long time to kill you, and people would be sick for years with this thing. So one such person was a man named David Brainard, who lived in New England during the mid-18th century. Brainard had the disease for at least eight years, and eventually succumbed to this disease when he was only 29 years old. His sickness caused him to be sent home multiple times from Yale, where he was at school, and each time it was because he began coughing up blood. During the final months of his life, before he succumbed to the disease, he wrote in his journal, quote, In the afternoon, my pain increased exceedingly, and I was obliged to betake myself to bed. I was sometimes almost bereaved of the exercise of my reason by the extremity of the pain, unquote. Brainard died at the home of a man named Jonathan Edwards, and Edwards wrote that Brainard, quote, told me it was impossible for any to conceive of the distress he felt in his breast. He manifested much concern lest he should dishonor God by impatience under the extreme agony, which was such that he said the thought of enduring it one minute longer was almost insupportable, unquote. So this disease is terrible to say the least, capable of causing so much pain 
that you could go mad and wish to die rather than continue to suffer. And millions of people back in Coke's day were suffering from it. But nobody knew why. The cause of the disease was totally unknown. Some people thought that because of its widespread nature, the disease might be inherited. Others thought that because the disease was more common among the poor living in the slums, the disease might be related to poor diet and sanitation. Now other people like Koch believe the disease to be caused by an infectious microorganism. But how do you prove that a disease is caused by a microbe and not by, say, diet, sanitation, or an inherited condition? So this was Koch's crowning achievement. In 1882, he published a paper where he put forth four criteria that would prove conclusively that a particular bacterium was the cause of tuberculosis. These criteria are known today as Koch's postulates, and they remain the gold standard in medical microbiology to this day for proving a bacterium causes disease. So let's go through the postulates one by one, and then see how Koch applied them to identifying the microorganism that causes tuberculosis. Koch's first postulate states that the microorganism suspected of causing the disease must be present in diseased tissue but absent from healthy tissue. So this sets up a correlation between the disease and the presence of the microbe. The second postulate states that the microbe must be isolated from the diseased tissue and maintained in pure culture separate from other microbes. The third postulate states that inoculation of the cultured microbe into a susceptible host must reproduce the original symptoms of the disease. And finally, the fourth postulate states that the same microbe must be isolated again from the inoculated diseased host. To fulfill these criteria for tuberculosis, Koch began with postulate number one. How could he show that the microbe was present in diseased tissue but absent from healthy tissue? Well, he had to use a microscope. But a conventional light microscope like the kind Koch was using is usually not enough to clearly see bacteria because most cells and bacteria are transparent. Koch experimented with different dyes until he found one that could strongly stain bacteria from tuberculosis patients. So under the microscope, Koch observed rod-shaped bacteria called bacilli present in both diseased tissue in both animal and human tuberculosis patients. In his 1882 paper, Koch states that, quote, at all sites where the tuberculosis process was fresh and progressed rapidly, bacilli were found in abundance. They formed small and densely packed groups, often within host cells. Aside from this, numerous free bacilli could be detected, unquote. Apart from that, the bacteria was not present in healthy tissue that Koch looked at under the microscope, so this fulfilled his first postulate. To fulfill the second postulate, Koch needed to isolate a pure culture of the bacteria. This was easier said than done, but Koch had pioneered the use of solid medias for growing bacteria in the lab in a plate. Unlike with liquid medias, the solid media allowed for the growth of individual colonies of bacteria that could be isolated and grown separately as a pure culture. However, successful culture of microbes is highly dependent on the biology of the organism. 
Individual bacteria require the right nutrients, the right temperature, and the right air quality to grow. Koch had to try several different media and temperature conditions before he found one that could grow the bacteria he saw in the tuberculosis tissues. And he found it required a lot of patience because the bacteria typically took about two weeks to grow in the lab. But eventually, he succeeded in isolating pure colonies of the bacteria from human patients with tuberculosis, thus fulfilling the second postulate. So now we get to the third postulate, which really demonstrates the ability of the bacteria to cause disease. The third postulate states that an inoculation of the pure bacteria culture into a susceptible host must reproduce the original disease symptoms. But how was Koch going to fulfill this postulate? Walk around Berlin asking for volunteers to be infected with deadly bacteria? Er, no, that would be highly unethical. You could kill someone if you do that. <laughs> so what was Koch to do? Well, he used an animal model. In science, it is very common to use animal models to study diseases. Koch was fortunate that tuberculosis is a disease not just of humans, but of most mammals, which made finding an animal model for tuberculosis pretty easy. He went with guinea pigs, so here's a quote from his paper describing what happened. Quote, Of six guinea pigs which had been kept in a single cage after purchase, four animals were inoculated with a bacterial culture derived from a human lung with tuberculosis. Two animals were left untreated. In the infected animals, lymph nodes became swollen after 14 days, at the site of injection lesions developed, and the animals lost weight. After 32 days, one of the animals died. After 35 days, the other animals were killed, and all inoculated animals suffered from severe tuberculosis in the spleen, liver, and lungs. The two untreated animals showed no sign of tuberculosis." Unquote. So the inoculated animals developed disease, thus fulfilling the third postulate. He then went on to the final postulate, which required isolating the same microbe from the inoculated diseased animals. So Koch took tissue from the diseased animals, looked under the microscope, and again saw those rod-shaped bacteria. So having successfully fulfilled the four postulates, Koch states at the end of his paper, quote, All these factors together allow me to conclude that the bacilli present in the tuberculosis lesions does not only accompany tuberculosis, but rather causes it. These bacilli are the true agents of tuberculosis." Unquote. So news of Koch's discovery spread worldwide and propelled him to international fame, not just in scientific circles, but also in the public sphere. Koch was appointed professor of hygiene at the University of Berlin not long after his discovery, and significantly in 1891, he founded the Royal Prussian Institute for Infectious Diseases. This institute was later renamed the Robert Koch Institute in his honor, and it remains a major site of scientific research to this day, and also currently functions as the German version of the CDC. Koch himself gathered many of the world's best and brightest scientists to his institute and continued making big discoveries in the field of microbiology. In 1905, the Nobel Committee, recognizing the significance of his work, awarded him the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Now, let's take a minute to go over the impact of Koch's postulates. Koch had laid out the criteria for proving a particular species of bacteria causes disease. 
the successful application of his postulates to tuberculosis and other diseases inspired a golden age of discovery in medical bacteriology. By the time Koch was awarded his Nobel Prize in 1905, almost three decades had passed since his discoveries of the anthrax bacillus. In those three decades, most of the major bacterial pathogens in humans were isolated, cultured, and shown to cause disease according to Koch's postulates. That's really big impact. But it quickly became apparent that the postulates did not work for all infectious diseases. The first postulate states that the microorganism must always be present in cases of the disease but absent from healthy patients. This is true for a lot of diseases but breaks down for pathogens that cause asymptomatic infections. For example, with the current SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus pandemic, we know that the virus is present in all cases of the disease, but there are lots of healthy people who catch the virus but never get sick. This doesn't mean the virus doesn't cause disease. It just means host factors also determine the outcome of disease. So age is the biggest host factor that we know of for worse COVID-19. Older people are way more likely to get sick and die if they get infected. Younger people are more likely to be asymptomatic. So the reality of whether or not an infection results in disease is more complicated than just the presence or absence of the pathogen. The condition of the host also makes a difference in determining the disease outcome. The second postulate also is difficult to fulfill for many pathogens. Remember that the second postulate states the pathogen must be isolated from infected tissue and grown in pure culture. However, many microorganisms require very specific conditions to be grown outside their host, and we still don't have good culture techniques for many microbes. Additionally, viruses and several bacteria pathogens cannot be grown on their own outside of host cells. You stick a virus on a petri dish, nothing is going to happen. So you can't isolate a pure colony of these pathogens on a plate the way Koch did for tuberculosis. Special techniques had to be developed for isolating pure culture of viruses. Now the third postulate requires that the microbe must be used to infect a suitable host and reproduce the same symptoms of the disease. We also have a problem with this postulate because many pathogens are fine-tuned to cause disease only in humans. For example, human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, is very specific at causing disease in humans, but not other animals, even related animals like monkeys. We have a similar situation with the novel coronavirus. SARS-CoV-2 seems to cause death only in humans and minks for some reason, but not in the usual lab animals like mice, rabbits, and monkeys. So finding a suitable animal model for the disease can be a challenge. And lastly, the fourth postulate states that the microbe must be isolated again from the inoculated diseased host. So here we could discuss what does it mean to isolate the microbe? Because in Koch's mind, this meant growing the microbe up on a plate and looking at it under the microscope. Now, if that was the bar we set for determining if someone is infected with, say, COVID, we would never be able to get all the tests done. It would take way too long. So today, because of these limitations, 
people have developed a version of Koch's postulates called the molecular Koch postulates. So the molecular version of the postulates does not require the entire microbe to be isolated, just a molecular signature from the microbe, usually a piece of its genome, like DNA or RNA. But this molecular signature must be present in all cases of the disease, just like with Koch's postulates. So lastly, let's talk for a minute about the advantages Koch's discovery had. What does identifying the microbe that causes disease allow us to do? Well, the effect of Koch's work was huge because once scientists knew that bacterial infections were causing disease, they could begin looking for interventions that prevented or eliminated the bacterial infections. Thanks to Koch's plate culture techniques, it became possible to work with the bacteria in a lab, not just in animals or patients. This meant different drugs that could kill bacteria or prevent their growth could easily be tested in the lab before being tested in humans. So following the age of bacterial pathogen discovery came the age of antibiotics. The discovery of streptomycin, the first antibiotic effective against tuberculosis, was worth its own Nobel Prize in 1952. That discovery was only possible because of Koch's discovery of the bacteria and the methods he used to grow it. Because of the advance of antibiotics, tuberculosis is no longer the plague of death that it once was. However, it remains one of the top 10 leading causes of death worldwide, responsible for 1.3 million deaths in 2019 alone. That's actually the same amount we have for COVID at the time of this recording. Cases of the disease have dropped drastically in the last 60 years, particularly in Europe and the United States, but the disease maintains a hold in parts of Asia, Africa, and the Pacific. Drug-resistant strains of the bacteria have also emerged, and scientists are working hard to find cures to these resistant strains. So still, while there's a long way to go with eliminating tuberculosis, we have certainly come a long way since Robert Koch's discovery. So that concludes this fourth episode of Notable Nobels. This episode was recorded on November 14th, 2020. I want to thank Digital Mind Productions for providing the music. Next time on Notable Nobels, we will be discussing how two Nobel laureates used Koch's postulates to prove a particular bacteria caused disease. And part of the story goes like this. One of those scientists took a solution containing 1 billion bacteria that he knew could make him sick and he drank it. Now, why on earth did he do that? Well, tune in next time to find out. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then.